Hello, everybody. Welcome into the Penn State 365 podcast. My name is Dylan Callum Crowley, beat writer and recruiting analyst here at Indy Nation of the Rivals Network covering Penn State Athletics. I'm joined by my co-host Marty Leap of Black Shoe Diaries and Anthony Hazan, our resident super fan and medical expert. Uh, gentlemen, uh, we will talk about Ohio State game in uh, just a few minutes here. Uh, we'll preview Indiana, and then we'll also, of course, talk a little bit about the quarterback situation going forward. But uh, just before we record the podcast, the first college football playoff rankings have uh, been released. Um, Penn State comes in at number 15, one spot ahead of number 16, Illinois. A little bit of surprise in there with Illinois, just having one loss on the season. That being said, Penn State's two losses this year are to two of the top five teams in the country, according to the college football playoff committee with Number two, Ohio State, and number five, Michigan. Um, number 15, though, uh, this is uh, big for Penn State because that means the path to a New Year's Six Bowl is very clear. It is simply win out if you're Penn State and you're going to be in a New Year's Six Bowl with the remaining schedule of Indiana, Maryland, Rutgers, and Michigan State. That's very much uh, a realistic uh, possibility for Penn State here over the next four weeks. Uh, but, gentlemen, uh, what what's your immediate thoughts on Penn State entering the college football playoffs at number fifteen? I, I mean, I think it's probably the rightful spot right for them. You know, yeah, you got waxed by Michigan, but it was on the road. Michigan's a top five team. <clears throat> Excuse me. And anyone who watched an Ohio State game realizes that the final score was not indicative of how close that thing was. Uh, take away turnovers or take away JT not even going to attempt the last name, uh, turning into Superman, Penn State probably wins. So I think 15 is about right because your two losses are the top five teams, one of which you very easily could have, an argument could be made, should have beaten. Yeah, 100% agree with Marty on that one. I think 15 feels about right. And it's big that they're ahead of Illinois at number 16 because, yeah, it, it means that if they can keep their focus the rest of the year and they can win out, they should be in a New Year's Six Bowl, most likely the Orange Bowl game down in Florida. So that would be a really fun one to be uh, to be at for a Penn State fan. But let's not get too ahead of ourselves. You know, they still got business to take care of. But if you're Penn State, it's probably about where you should be. Absolutely. Uh, I agree with both of you there. And as uh, Marty in one of our other group chats uh, I, I said to somebody in there uh, when talking about Illinois or Penn State at number 15 there. Uh, you look at it, yeah, Penn State has two losses there. One of them was a blood loss to Michigan. But if you consider it, uh, I guess in, in a sort of way, two losses to two top five teams is still better than a loss to Indiana, even though it was in Illinois' first game of the season. Yeah, I honestly, I totally forgot that Illinois' loss was against Indiana. Who oh boy, because the Hoosiers stink. Uh, of course, th- that We'll see what happens this weekend. Penn State will either uh, even, uh, I mean, strengthen their resume over Illinois if they beat Indiana. But if uh, Penn State falls to Indiana, uh, Marty may be eating some crow after this week. Um, Talking about you better be careful with those words, Marty. I don't, I don't like the jinxing that you're currently doing right now. Talking about eating crow, Indiana team. I'm, I'm mentally taking a break for the rest of the season. Talking about eating crow, I'm the one who should be eating crow last week, from last week. Last week's pod, I said, uh, while Ohio State's defensive line is talented, it is deep, there's not one guy on that defensive line you look at as a guy who's going to absolutely change the game, wreck your day, 
And oh boy, was I wrong. Yeah, I mean, um, I, JT's performance, uh, uh, like Marty, I'm not even going to try to pronounce the last name. We, everybody who listens to the podcast knows I suck with Hawaiian or Polynesian last names. Um, but uh, that was simply one of the single greatest single game performances I've ever seen out of a defensive player in a college football game. Um, I, I, and he was really actually quiet for the middle of 44 minutes of the game. But the first eight minutes and the last eight minutes of the game, he he decided this game single-handedly. Um, but are we ready to talk about this Penn State-Ohio State game? I mean, it was just another kind of instant classic out of these two programs. Yeah, first of all, I just want to say this is why you don't put those kind of things into the universe, Dylan, because, yeah, that came back to bite you in a big way, didn't it? Because that was his breakout game. I mean, listen, he was like yeah. a, what, a top five player in the country in his recruiting uh, he, class. Uh, yeah, he was, uh, he, was a, he was a stud coming out of high school. It was a matter of time until he broke out. Uh, and uh, unfortunately for Penn State, it just so happened to be on Saturday afternoon at Beaver Stadium. Yeah, I mean, it helps that he had Bryce Effner on him, who has, who has been serviceable the entire year. But, I mean, yeah, listen, and- Bryce Effner is not a five-star caliber offensive lineman. No, so. no. And, and credit to Effner. And like I just said, for forty those middle 44 minutes after the f- first date and la- before the last date, he was rather silent. That was, that was a big part because of Effner. But, I mean, that caliber of player – tends to have big moments at some point. And for him, and unfortunately for Bryce Evner, those big moments were when it mattered the most. But let's talk about this game overall. Um, So how do you guys want to talk about this? You want to go kind of in order? You just want to talk about some of the big plays? I mean, we could talk about this game so many different ways. I I think the first thing just to say really about it is, it, for Penn State, it's just another game against Ohio State where you were so close, so close to getting back over that hump. I mean, they were up 21-16 with nine minutes, 26 seconds left in the game. That was all that was separating them from potentially getting back over that hump and taking advantage of what they weren't able to take advantage of on the 2016 win. Instead, now you're kind of back to square one. Um I guess for you guys as fans, just how much of a gut punch was that loss for you? Were you expecting it after Travion Henderson scored just, what, 30 seconds after Penn State took the lead? Just what what was your overall feelings coming out of Saturday's game? Uh, even, after, even after Henderson scored, to be honest, I fully expected Penn State to go down and score again because the offense had moved the ball most of the game. Uh, one word, turnovers. Turnovers are going to kill you in a close football game, especially against the caliber of Ohio State. I've gone back and rewatched that fumble probably a hundred times. And man, Parker Washington is wide open. He is getting yeah. twenty to thirty yards at least on that play. And Penn State's going to be up around midfield with eight minutes to go, trailing by five and on the move, or trailing by two, excuse me, and on the move. And who knows what happens? Um, yes, it was a horrible play by Bryce Effner. At the same time, that was not Sean Clifford's blind side. He needs to see that coming. He needs to step up in the pocket and at least protect the ball there. Um, yeah, turnovers, man, they'll, they'll kill you in a close game, especially against a team like Ohio State. It, it, was, it was there for the taking. It really was, and that's what makes it so frustrating because, once again, they had the Buckeyes 
maybe not on the ropes like they did in 2017 or 2018, but this game was there for the taking for 51 minutes. Penn state was the better team, but the last nine minutes, thanks in large part to, to two very costly turnovers. Um, the Buckeyes were able to flex that talent gap and pull away. And it's just, I mean, this definitely is not the gut punch that 2017 or 2018 were, but it doesn't make it any easier of a pill to swallow. Cause I think this is a much different loss than those and where you come out of this one knowing had they just protected the football, they would have won the game 17 and 18 down the stretch. Ohio state just kicked into another gear and there was nothing you could have done this one. You could have done things differently Just protect the football and you win this game. Yeah. And before Marty goes, I will say definitely can't have those four turnovers. Absolutely. Um, On those four turnovers, I, Sean Clifford has to be better on all of those plays, obviously. But at the same time, um, if we're going over, let's uh, that first the first interception, a little bit of bad luck there. I mean, he can't. He has a tendency in his career to get passes, you know, knocked down at the uh, at the line of scrimmage, which is something you know he's never improved on um, greatly. Um, so a little bit of bad luck that it just has went you know right across the line of scrimmage into the hands of Zach Harrison, which. Um, just, uh, you know, another little storyline there. Penn State was so close to hand, landing Zach Harrison so many years ago. And then in that game, he has a big interception early. Um, after that, uh, the second interception, definitely a little bit his fault there. Uh, he s- stared down Kavion Lee the entire time. Uh, Kavion Lee could probably come back a little bit there. I'd put that one on Clifford for sure. Um, and then a little bit of Lee. Just also another great play by JT uh, T over there at Ohio State. And then those final two turnovers, like you said, that's not his blind side. He has to see that pressure coming. Um, and then – but also on that play, Efner got twisted like a pretzel. I don't know if you guys saw the replay. I think Efner got legitimately turned 180 and was facing Sean Clifford when uh, JTT got to uh, Clifford. And then the interception at the line, uh, Efner got completely manhandled um, and – uh, JTT over there uh, just complete, completely knew what was coming, jumped before Clifford even released the ball. Um, but Clifford has to know that – Clifford Clifford obviously saw him there. Um, you you got to pump fake that or something. I, but uh, definitely not taking all the blame off Clifford, but um, he didn't receive any help on any of those plays either, I would say. Um, Anthony, what was your thoughts? Yeah, first off, just want to correct you on that. It was Katron oh, Allen on that. Oh, I said no. yeah. yeah, Katron Allen. He was hurt. He didn't play any uh, snaps yeah. on Saturday. That's right. James Franklin did inform us today that we have not seen Lee because Lee's been hurt for the last five weeks or so. Yeah, but like you guys mentioned, the story of the game was the turnover margin. You know, four for Penn State. They, could, they couldn't force Ohio State into any turnovers, and – it's what cost them that game, but man, they had them. They had them in that game. Nine minutes left yeah. in the fourth quarter, they were winning. You know, they were in prime position, and then Ohio State just flipped the switch. Does what Ohio State does. Yeah, it's like every year. You know, the Ohio State. You know, in the fourth quarter, they flip that switch, and the talent gap just shows up. You know, and it just it just solidifies. You know, what type of level Ohio State's at compared to Penn State, and there is a gap there. You know, it's yeah. not. 
it wasn't coaching on it. You know, you can, you argue in some instances, like obviously there was that third and 10 where Stroud threw that slant to Harris and they were playing off the ball a little too much, but also Abdul Carter and Adiza Isaac were in that passing lane. Like they could have gotten to that football potentially. Yeah. So, yeah. I, yeah. So like, I don't really blame this game on coaching. It's, it was more of just the defense, I think got a little gassed in the fourth quarter and they couldn't, you know, they couldn't hold the ball. They, they, they couldn't stop yeah. turning the ball over. And, and that's what killed them at the end of the day. And, and Marty, I know you have a coaching comment, Anthony, you, you're talking about holding the ball. And I think not just with the turnovers, but something that Penn state did in the first half that they weren't able to do in the second half was run the ball consistently. Um, they weren't dominating on the ground the first half. I think the first half they averaged 3.8 yards per carry, which obviously isn't great, but it's solid enough. In the second half, they averaged, I believe, two point. Uh, it was in the low two point something. Um, that, that just can't get it done. That's what we've seen Penn State get hurt in the past in the fourth quarter is when you can't run the ball consistently late, uh, you're, it's hard to hold onto the ball and keep the other offense off the field because you don't always want to be passing in those situations because, you know, run the ball is a safer option most of the time. Um, so that definitely also hurt. Uh, Marty, I know you have a coaching comment. Uh, what do you think about the coaching on Saturday? Yeah, you know, Anthony mentioned uh, blaming the coaching, and I totally agree. I think in a lot of ways, I'm not going to say James Franklin and company, company necessarily outcoached Ryan Day, um, but they definitely outschemed Ryan Day. Uh, Penn State's defense, through being physical, through being aggressive, through good tackling, made Ryan Day go into a shell with his play calling, which we've never seen, even dating back to his time as offensive coordinator at Ohio State. Um, in a lot of ways, they had Ohio State's defense on their heels and reeling a lot of times. You know, chunk plays the Parker Washington, getting Keandre Lambert-Smith in space, yeah. getting the tight ends involved. I thought, in my opinion, they had a better game plan in the Buckeyes on both sides of the ball. They out-schemed the Buckeyes on both sides of the ball. Um, yep. Uh, if there's anything I would have changed, you mentioned some of those slant routes. Um, obviously, trying to drop Isaac and the defensive ends in the coverage was not working there. Excuse me, maybe you make an adjustment, but that might be nitpicking a little bit. I thought for the most part, this is one of the most well-coached games of the entire season from Penn State. And I would make an argument that this was the best game Mike Yurcich has had in two years as offense coordinator. I yeah. agree. And what do you got? Yeah, so I saw people nitpick that play like on social media where they were like backed off of Harrison on, on third and 10. And I get that. But, you know, at the same time, I think they were, you know, where they were trying to prevent the deep ball there. They didn't want Harrison to burn them deep because, you know, he was a Marvin Harrison's a freak. Let's be honest here. He might be out of all the wide receivers that Ohio State has had over the last five to seven years. Marvin Harrison might be the best of any of them. Like he He's is. It, he is absolutely insane. He is a game wrecker. And we thought we thought Jackson Smith and Jigbo was the best wide receiver in the country coming in this season. We were we were the right team. It was just the wrong player. Mar Marvin Harrison Jr. by far is the best wide receiver in this country. Uh, he just does everything so well. Yeah, oh, he legitimately might prove to be better than his dad, which is saying something. <laughs> it is. Yeah. No, he is. He's a game wrecker. So it is um, what it is. There. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with you guys on the coach. And I thought the coaching staff came out with a great game plan. And, um, I mean, the defense especially. I know the defense gave up those two big touchdowns in the third quarter on long, you know, uh, long drives. Sorry, fourth quarter. Those cannot happen as much as the offense and Clifford is to blame for those four turnovers and to lose the game. Um, 
those those two long drives in those situations can't happen. You can't be dominating for three quarters, and then the fourth quarter when you need big stops, you know, you give them up. I mean, Penn State, I think on the day, if I did the calculations right, only gave up twenty three points on um, when Ohio State had to go the full length of the field. Fourteen of those twenty three points came in the in you know in the fourth quarter. Um, that cannot happen. Um, but you know, it, it's not the only reason they lost that game either. Uh, because of those four turnovers, Ohio state got 21 points off them, 14 that the defense allowed on short field. Um, but other than that, I mean, you look at what Ohio state put up, um, numbers wise, and then you look at what Penn state's defense did for the most part. It was, a it was as probably as good as you could do against this Buckeyes offense. You're never going to completely shut them down. But through three quarters of play, Ohio State's offense was kept to 16 points. I mean, I know Notre Dame did that at the beginning of the year, but how often do we see Ohio State's offense get completely shut down for not just a half, uh, but three quarters? And even out, even with those two long field touchdowns in the fourth quarter, uh, it was still would have been a very good day. You just can't always expect your defense to bail you out in short field situations. Um, and, and they did a great job of that throughout the year. And they did as well as they could against Ohio state. Um, I think the, one of the bigger parts for Ohio, uh, sorry, for Penn state and losing this game was simply in the third quarter and early fourth quarter, when they had chances to extend that lead, they never extended that lead. And against a team like Ohio state, the longer that game went on and Penn State wasn't able to extend a lead, the more I felt that they were in trouble of losing that game because you're not going to hold off Ohio State forever. That that quick scoring drive they had after Penn State took a 21-16 lead was bound to happen at some point. But if you're Penn State, Penn State's offense, you never extended that lead. So that's, that's another big reason they lost the game. But I thought the offense at the same time had a very good day. Uh, overall, I mean, even when Ohio State put up 28 points in the fourth quarter, the offense put up 17 of their own. It's not like the offense didn't show up in the fourth quarter. They, they just had two huge turnovers that ultimately decided the game. Um, so I agree with the coaching, um, coaching overall. And if you, if you told me that Penn State only would have given up uh, or only would have allowed Marvin Harrison Jr. to have a big day, I thought they would have won the game. Um and I thought the secondary played pretty well overall. I know Kalen King got uh, kind of beat up throughout the game with covering Marvin Harrison Jr., but uh, overall the secondary didn't allow many big plays. I think the longest reception was 37 yards, and that was uh, the first drive of the game. Um, were you guys surprised that they left Kalen King on Marvin Harrison Jr. all day? I mean, Joey Porter Jr. was only targeted twice in this game. Yeah, I was going to comment on that. I didn't really understand why you wouldn't put your best corner on their best receiver at least half the time. You know, I, 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 I think, think that's highly, the biggest second guess I have. I, I think very highly of Kalen King, and I think he he's going to be a really, really good player, especially, you know, as yeah. he goes through this offseason and goes into the next season. But at the same time, you have Joey Porter as a guy that's a borderline first-round pick, and, you know, Marvin Harrison's a stud. You want to see that matchup. You, know, you want to see those yeah. two go at each other. And yeah, and, I'm kind of surprised that we didn't see that much at all. And I, I, I would have been uh, intrigued to see what, how much they would have targeted Porter if, if he was covering Harrison. Because I, like I said, 
Porter was only targeted twice in this game, which tells you all you need to know about how much Ohio State respects Joey Porter Jr. To yeah. not throw his way more than twice in this game when C.J. Stroud had, I think, 33, 35 uh, passing attempts, I mean, that's one of the best offenses in the country, one of the best quarterbacks in the country, and they didn't want to throw Joey Porter's way at all. Um, Marty, any thoughts on Kalen King covering? I mean, I think Kalen King did as well as he probably could most of that game. It was a lot of Marvin Harrison Jr.'s uh, receptions were based off, you know, uh, not playing press coverage a ton. There was a couple, you know, plays where he just beat King generally, but any thoughts on King on Harrison or just how Penn State's uh, really played their coverage in this game? Uh, not They didn't play a ton of ton of press, it seemed. I'd have, I'd have to go back and watch again, but live it didn't seem like a ton of press in some situations. Yeah, I didn't really get it. Um, you know, you said borderline first-round pick for Joey Porter Jr. I mean, shit, the guy, in my opinion, she's been, I think it might be a borderline top 10 pick. Um, you're going to see a lot of battles in the next 10 years in the NFL of Joey Porter Jr. against Marvin Harrison Jr. And yeah. I really didn't understand it. Like you guys said, that's not a knock on Kalen King. Kalen King's going to have a very long, very successful NFL career. He, he, he could be a first-round pick next year himself. I mean, there was there were multiple plays in this guy. I remember on a third and short, they ran a bubble pass to Mbuke that King just flew through, ran over a blocker, blew up Mbuke. Like, the, the guy's a good player. Excuse me. You just you want to put your best on best. And, you know, going into the game, that's one thing I talked about being excited just as a pure football fan was watching JPJ go against Marvin Harrison Jr. I don't understand yeah. why we didn't get it more. Um, especially if you did want to take away the deep ball at Harrison Jr., which they did for the most part, that physical style of Porter Jr. at the line is going to do that while also negating a lot of the slants, a lot of those quick hitters that killed Penn State on Saturday. So, I mean, I think if there's one thing Manny Diaz would probably do over if he could in this game, it would be that. But, I mean, ultimately, like you said, Dylan, had you told me going into the game that Marvin Harrison Jr. was going to do what he did and they were going to contain the rest of the receivers and outside of one long run by Henderson, hold them to like three yards rushing, I would have said sign me up. Absolutely. Uh, I guess quickly we'll we'll just kind of uh, talk about some of the bigger plays. So, I mean, we talked about the turnovers, obviously. Um Ohio State's first drive of the game, they they actually had a pretty nice drive, nine plays, 55 yards. But the defense, as they've done so well this year, bend but didn't break, held Ohio State to a field goal. I thought that was big early on for Penn State to keep that momentum. Uh, and then even bigger for Penn State on, you know, trying to build some momentum in that first half was right after Sean Clifford's first interception, the defense forces a, uh, I think it was a three and out, sorry, four play, yeah, three, three and out. Um, and uh, uh, I'll say it attempts a 51 yard field goal, I think, uh, and, and misses. I mean, that was a huge stop by the defense early, not to go down 10 nothing. Because if a hostage goes down 10 nothing there, I thought we could be sorry, if a hostage goes up 10 nothing there, I thought we could be seeing a repeat of the mission game. I don't know how you guys felt about those that, those first two defensive drives there, but uh, I, I think the defense really set the tone for most of the game with those first two drives. Yeah, it was it was starting to feel that way a little bit because I believe it was ten nothing after the first quarter, and you were starting to you know Penn State had, you know, Clifford had thrown two interceptions it was. in the first quarter. He threw those two interceptions, and you're starting to think like, oh man, here we go again. And, and yeah. then you know 
credit to Clifford at the time in the second and third quarter, he rebounded. And obviously he had them with the lead in the fourth quarter before everything yeah. completely fell apart again. So it was, again, it was the perfect uh, example of what a Sean Clifford experience is at Penn state. It went down it went up it went down it went up. It's, it's a roller coaster ride that we all kind of want off at this point, but that's a conversation for a later discussion, but well, we haven't, we'll be on that conversation perhaps in just a couple minutes. Yeah. But yeah, that, I lost my train of thought, but that's all I was going to say. About you're, that. You're, good. you're good. You're good. But yeah, Penn State obviously would go down 10 nothing just a, a series later um, when and Sean Clifford threw his second interception in as many series. But uh, I think not because if you go down 10 nothing on that first interception and then a hot state goes out and gets a second touchdown off an interception within the first, I let's see what, 10 minutes of the game. I mean, you're and you're down seventeen nothing. That game is over by the end of the first quarter. Uh, but credit the defense that got off the field on that first uh, interception. A lot of touching on that second interception. But I think if you're a Penn State fan, if you're the coaching staff, you'll take going one out of two on those you know quick change of possession type uh, drives. All right. Uh, Penn State's offense would finally get it going in that second quarter when Parker Washington with his first. Big play of the day, goes 58 yards, uh, gets a rather short pass from Sean Clifford, takes a big hit, uh, bounces off the two defenders, though, uh, and then goes uh, the rest of the way for the touchdown. Uh, I, that touchdown is, I think, obviously big. Penn State settled down that after that. The offense got going, and it got the Beaver Stadium crowd back into it because that crowd got a little bit quiet uh, after that first quarter. Uh, it was really all Ohio State, but – uh, credit to Penn State from that touchdown until nine minutes, 26 seconds into the fourth quarter. Uh, they were the better team. Yeah, and you know. It was also, also the beginning of Parker Washington's career day. Uh, 10, 11 receptions, 179 yards in that touchdown. Yeah, like you said, for 51 minutes, Penn State was the better team. Um, Parker Washington – Best game of his career. Um, you know, it's funny because coming into the game, you're probably looking at Parker Washington as a guy who would have been leaning towards coming back next year. Um, after what he did yesterday, especially building and the week before game against Minnesota, um, we might look back on Saturday as the day where we realize Parker Washington's not going to come back for a senior season. Um, but yeah, I mean, just Penn State's receivers and rightfully so have received a lot of criticism this season. But really, even starting with that Michigan game, we're finally seeing the receivers start to play better. Keandre Lambert-Smith had multiple chunk plays in this game. I realize it's the tight ends and not the receivers, but Theo Johnson, a play before Lambert-Smith's 23-yard touchdown, had a huge game. Uh, Trey Wallace did a great job of drawing a pass interference penalty where, you know, had he not been tackled by the Ohio State defensive back, he would have likely caught the ball and it could have been a very long touchdown potentially for Penn state. So I think you're seeing yeah. the receivers starting to take a step forward, which is big to see. Um, Cause that is one position group on offense that really has struggled most of the season for no real rhyme or reason because there haven't been injuries or anything of the sort there. But yeah, it was good to see the receivers come out and play extremely well, especially Parker Washington uh, tip of the cap to him. The kid left absolutely everything on the field on Saturday. He gave his heart and soul and did all he could to try and will the Nittany Lions to a victory. Absolutely. After going, you know, uh, 
kind of that lead 10 to 7. Penn State forces a three now in the next drive by Ohio State, and they come right back down the field the next drive and quickly score another touchdown to go up 14-10. And, and I mean, you're, you're, you know, you're now halfway through the second quarter. Penn State, when they're looking possibly dead in the water early on, is suddenly up 14-10 on the number two team in the country and has all the momentum in the world. The defense is balling out. And the offense uh, seems to be clicking like they were uh, in the second quarter against Minnesota a week before. Um, and after that, I let's see. Uh, so the touchdown, yep. Hoste comes back down, gets a field goal, cuts it to 14-13. Uh, and then the next big drive of the game, last drive of the half for Ohio State. Um, what a decision it was in this game. Yeah, fast forward and throughout the drive, Ohio State eventually gets, I believe, Penn State's eight-yard line in the drive. Uh, and about six seconds left, they have a fourth down. They could, you know, either go with the field goal unit. Uh, and this was after a timeout. They could either go with the field goal unit, take the three, go up and go into halftime up 16-14. Instead, Ohio State, potentially a little greedy, decides to go for it on fourth down. And Johnny Dixon coming off the edge completely uh you know, just destroyed C.J. Stroud, forced a fumble. Penn State goes up in up goes into halftime. Sorry, up fourteen thirteen. Uh, at the time, that just felt like a massive play that we would be looking back on as that was a play that Penn State potentially won the game on. Uh, it didn't turn out that way, but um, just what is stand by that defense in that situation? And it, it's these kind of small things if you're a Penn State fan and you're the coaching staff that you have to look at and come away with a positive attitude from. There was a lot of good done in this game by both sides of the ball over those first 51 minutes. A lot of build on going forward. Yeah, one of my keys for this game, you know, just talking, you know, to you guys and amongst my friends was just prevent them from scoring touchdowns, make them kick field goals because you know yeah. that they're going to score. You're not going to shut them out. But if you can hold them to three instead of seven, more often than not, they were going to have a chance yep. in this game. And then in the beginning, through the first three quarters, that's what they did. You know, they that that defensive stand was phenomenal. You know, the defense was flying around. They were getting pressure on Stroud. Stroud looked uncomfortable at times in the pocket, yeah. and it, they rattled him. They did exactly what they needed to do, and yeah, that was phenomenal defense. You know, on that drive to go into halftime with the lead, um, just it, it felt like a huge momentum play, and it felt like something they take with them into the second half. Yeah, and. I mean, Penn State kept Ohio State to 209 total yards in that first half. I mean, that that's exactly what Penn State needed out of their defense and was really impressive, especially considering the start that Ohio State got off to in that game. Um, I mean, and something we haven't even talked about yet, but I, I know Ohio State got that big 41-yard run in the fourth quarter, but the rush defense on Saturday for Penn State was phenomenal. They kept Mayan Williams, who did live an injury. Uh, they kept him quiet. They kept Trayvon Henderson quiet for all but one carry. Um, how got, how impressed were you guys with that run defense on uh, Saturday, especially just, you know, two weeks removed from being absolutely embarrassed uh, for four quarters by Michigan's offense? Incredible bounce-back performance by this defense uh, against the run. 
which really started against Minnesota. Yeah, you were facing one of the best running back duos in the country. And outside of two long runs, one of which was the killer for that, for the go ahead touchdown by Trevion Henderson, you kept them completely in check. Um, in most games, you'll, you'll accept that one long run. If it means you shut uh, them down the remainder of time. Absolutely. Going into the game, I don't care who you were, any Penn state fan, if you told them they were going to hold Ohio state to 3.8 yards rushing and under hundred yards total, you were going to sign up for that all day long. And that's exactly what they did. Um, The running backs were head of Ohio state were not the reason the Buckeyes won this game. And a big reason why was because of how well Penn state's defensive line played in the trenches. And it was, you know, wasn't always the usual cast of characters. There was a third and one. I remember because I is blowing up for a big loss. There was a third and short where Devon Ellie set the edge and was able to use the, the, the sideline to help him defend the play and dragged down Henderson for no gain. It, it was just an all-around team effort up front by Penn State to stop this running attack. Yeah, all right, let's go into the third quarter because, I mean, Penn State gets a big stop going to halftime, but their first drive coming out of halftime, I mean, they were putting it together. 12 plays, 58 yards, they're driving down into the red zone, and then on fourth down, they decide to go for it, fourth and short. Um I guess let's start here. Quick yes or no. Were you guys okay with Penn State going for it on fourth down early in that third quarter? I mean, if you get that fourth down and they score a touchdown there, that game is uh what what did that been? They would they were at six they're at 14 13 at that point. Um so they could have had a chance to go up 21 13 uh early in the third quarter. Were you guys okay with going for it on fourth down? Uh we'll talk about the play in a second, but the decision itself. The decision itself, yes, I was I was totally okay with it. You're not going to beat Ohio State with field goals. You look at the bingo score, uh, that bingo. winning that or losing that game 44-34 instead of 44-31 does not change anything. It's still a loss. So yeah, yeah, I don't mind the play call at all. I actually like the aggressiveness on their part. The play itself, I wasn't a huge fan of, yeah. but the actual call. Yeah. Good. Oh, I, I'm done. I just said that. Oh, you're done. It wasn't a fan. Oh, you're done. Um, yeah, so not fan of the call. Go ahead. Go I'll ahead, Mark. That real quick. Now, I didn't like the play call either. That said, it was blocked very well yeah. outside of Sal Warmler. There's not the knock yeah. on Sal Warmler or anything. Sal Warmler's had a really good year. If Sal Warmler even gets a stalemate on that play, Nick Singleton might score, let alone get the first down. So that, again, just kind of adds to the frustration of all this. Yeah where they were that close to that play, not just working for a first down, but potentially really going for a big game. Yeah, had Sal Warmly even gotten a block for an extra second there, uh, Singleton probably scores on the play. It was very well blocked. I didn't love the, the play. It's the play call itself just because they went for that same play, I believe, on a third and short earlier in the game. Maybe it was a fourth and short earlier in the game that they went on it with. Um, so I didn't like going right back to the well. But I, it 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 did theoretically have a chance to work had it just been blocked a second better by Sal Warmly. Um, either way, Hosta gets a big stop there on fourth down, uh, but it didn't give away a ton of momentum. They would um, they would punt, I believe, on their next drive there. Um, 
and Penn State would punt, but then Ohio State would get back on the board, take a 16-14 lead with three minutes, 11 seconds in um, the um, third quarter. And that's when Penn State would go down right afterwards, score a touchdown to go up 21-16. And at this point, I, I'll be honest, in the press box, we were going like, all right, we weren't expecting Penn State, you know, necessarily to come back that quickly. But with how they came back that quickly, you're thinking this just may be Penn State's day to finally beat Ohio State again because everything was going their way, uh, even with that touchdown. They go up 21-16 immediately after losing the lead. That's a big answer drive out of that offense, something we haven't always seen this year. How did you guys feel after that touchdown? Were you guys starting to think that this could finally be the day Penn State is going to knock off Ohio State? I was cautiously optimistic because – You were starting to get there. You were starting to believe. You didn't want to believe just yet, but you're you, no, no. Like I, I was still sitting there. Like there's still a lot of time left. This Ohio State offense, you know, and, and that's exactly yeah. what happened. So maybe it's hindsight. I'm saying this, but I was cautiously optimistic that hmm, we could do this. You know, you started to get that yeah. little bit of hope, and I think that's why it hurt so much was because yeah. they gave you hope. And that entire drive was. We that that touchdown drive to go up twenty one sixteen was insane. I mean, it it they originally were going to kick about a forty yard field goal, but I forget what the penalty was. But there was they had a penalty. Penninger mixed what would have been the kick, um, and then they knock it back five yards. The next play, Ohio State gets a penalty, bring them back up, you know, five yards. Now it's fourth and one again. Penn State decides to go for it, gets the first fourth down on a slant to Tyler Warren. Then the next play, um, Sean Clifford goes towards Mitchell Tinsley. Tinsley catches it, gets to the goal line, fumbles. It's recovered by Brennan Strange originally in in the end zone. Then they rule it after review down at the one-yard line. Penn State gets stuffed on a um, a QB sneak by Clifford. And then a handoff to Allen gets into the end zone. I mean, that entire drive was just – bonkers uh but marty what was your thoughts on that drive and where were you uh in terms of your thought process when penn state retook that lead very similar to anthony i was cautiously optimistic um and even just how weird that drive was to still result in a touchdown and just an incredible effort by katron allen on the play to score the touchdown that was even kind of part of what had me thinking like you know what Sometimes when it's your day, it's your day. And yeah. after that drive, I kind of started to get that feeling like, you know, it, it's, it, it just might be their day. Um, yeah. And unfortunately that's not the way things went, but you, I think it would have been hard for any Penn state fan, even with their recent history against Ohio state in the fourth quarter to not feel good after that. And this is where this one started to kind of feel different from some of those ones in the past, because in the past it was always Penn State on their heels the entire fourth quarter. And this one, I'm not saying Ohio State was on their heels, but Ohio State was a team that had just blown a lead, and you saw Penn State march down and regain it, and you're like, all right, maybe just maybe it's it's going to happen this year. Yeah, and especially with how that entire drive went. I mean, Penn State didn't get many bounces go their way on Saturday. If you look at it, I mean, they had no turnovers. Um there was no big special teams plays. There's no penalties on Ohio State that really helped them in any major way. 
Um, but that drive was one of the, the few bounces that did go their way. Um, ultimately, to beat a team like Ohio State, you need more bounces. Um, but after that touchdown scored, um, there was nine minutes and 26 seconds left in the game. And 30 seconds later, Ohio State was up, and it it just snowballed from there. You you mean the game ended with nine minutes and twenty six seconds left, right? Nothing else happened. I, I think the entirety of Beaver Stadium would have liked that. Yes. Yeah, they just went home. Nothing else happened. Um, talking about have, have I, I, I've been thinking about it, and I I'm sure there's maybe a national, uh, sorry, a game from around the country that I've missed in over the years. But have you guys ever seen a game just snowball so out of one team's way that quickly? Not in recent memory. I mean, I'm, I sure, mean, it, I'm it, sure it's happened. I mean, it's definitely happened. It's not exclusive. It's, it's definitely happened, but in yeah, six minutes. From, the go from leading by five with 926 to go, really leading by five with under nine minutes to go after Ohio State had run the first two plays that drive. So to go from having a five-point lead with less than nine minutes to go to getting outscored 28 to 10 before the game's over, that's 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 something. Um, yeah, it was just once – and even after – like even after Ohio State scored to make a 30 to 21 and Penn State went right down the field, got to Pinnaker field goal, where again, as we've talked about here before, somehow, some way, Jake Pinnaker, when it means most, finds a way to nail it. Um, he was great. He was great, Saturday. Yeah, he missed the he missed a he would have missed a kick, but it didn't it matter, was. so it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like he, he hits his field goal and with five minutes to go, you're down by six. Um, you have all three timeouts, you're still feeling like all right, come out. My defense has been great all day. Get me one more stop. Give me one more stop defense and offense, give me one more drive, and it just, it could it never came to fruition. But yeah, even after Ohio State got those two quick scores, when they went down and got the field goal and cut the six with five minutes to go. I was still feeling okay about it, thinking, all right, defense played great. You've got all three timeouts. Get one stop. It was, and two offense, enough time to put together one last drive. It was going to take a little bit of a miracle, but it was definitely possible based off how they played that game. But then, you know, the, the defense just goes out there and allows another big scoring drive. And it, it, and that's when it, always, it became obvious it wasn't going to be their day. But, um, yeah, just, I mean, snowballed from there because Ohio State takes the lead with, you know, on – in less than 30 seconds, basically. And then uh, either one or two plays later is the strip sack. And then Ohio State scores on the short field. And then they get the field goal, yes. But then Ohio State gets, you know, the touchdown. And then it's the pick six. And, it, I mean, it all happened so fast. It all happened so, so fast. Six minutes, Ohio State scored 28 points. And it was out of Penn State's hands. You know what's funny? I didn't even see the pick six by JTT. I, I, I didn't. Either. I was on. I was on the I side of the around. field. I was on the field. It was literally that quick where I turned around, I turned back to the TV, and I saw Ohio State touchdown. I'm like, "What the hell just happened?" Like yeah. I literally had that moment. It was that quick, and it was just like yeah. I kind of knew it was over once we didn't stop them when when they went up 38-24. But I was just like, you know what? Whatever. We already lost, so it doesn't really matter at this point. I yeah, I was on the field. And I'm kind of jealous oh. of you guys. <laughs> I was on the field at that point, and I, I had my back turned to the play because I was looking um, up at the crowd and something. And all I heard was, you know, like a big groan. And uh, I saw a hostage sub, and I'm like, 
what just happened? And, and he's like, they're, the, uh, the guy I asked said to pick six. I couldn't believe it. I, I couldn't believe it. Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, it's one of the single greatest defensive efforts you'll ever see in a college football game. His final stat line, JTT, that is, was, um, let's see here, uh, six tackles, two sacks, three tackles for a loss, two interceptions, a pass breakup, a forced fumble, and, of course, that interception was a pick six. Um, well, one of those interceptions was a pick six. Just incredible. Um, so I guess from here, uh, another well-fought game against Ohio State, another hard, you know, loss to swallow. Um, it, it's the, – the last few topics on it, does this one hurt more than the years past or – because to me, I, I felt Penn State was going to lose the game once Ohio State retook the lead. Or did you know, it just happen so fast you were numb? Dylan, so, in all honesty, my senior year of high school, the last football game I ever played in was losing in the state championship. The 2017 Ohio State loss hurts me 100 times more than that one did. I don't know if anything yeah. will ever top that game. Yeah. I apologize for anybody who watching us is wondering what the hell I'm doing. Um uh, we're recording this during the Phillies World Series game, and Bryce Howard just hit a home run the first inning. So I'm very excited right now. Uh, but, Marty, back to what you are saying. No, I was just saying my, my senior year of high school, um, we went to the state championship game. So the, the, the last game of football I ever played in, in my life, um, and we lost. And the 2017 Ohio State loss hurts me 100 times more than that game does. Like that – I don't know if anything will ever top barring Penn state blowing like a 15 point fourth quarter lead in the national championship or something. I don't know anything will ever top that 2017 Ohio state loss for me on the hurt meter. Yeah. hundred percent agree there. Like mm. that 2017 game was just devastating. Like this one yeah. hurt, but like you could at least pinpoint a reason as to why they lost. Like, you know, you can kind of pinpoint they beat themselves with the turnovers in 2017, Ohio State just came out in the, in the fourth quarter and just beat them, and they just collapsed. Yeah. That, like, that's was, 2017 collapse, but like this was also just like yeah. they turned it over and they they beat themselves. So you can kind of live with that. Not you can't live with it, but you know what I mean. It's a yeah. little bit better. Like this was just 2017 was horrible. The 2017 game too. Two other things. One, when when that punt was blocked you could feel it coming. You knew what was coming and it made those last 12 minutes so miserable. And two, that was a loss that prevented the program as a whole from taking a step forward. Thank you. Because if Penn State wins that game, they go to the college football playoff in 2017. And who knows, who knows where we're at right now in terms of this program. This loss was not that caliber of a loss. You didn't go into this game with a chance to take a step forward as an entire program the way you did in 2017. So that that's a big factor here too. Agreed. Um, though, uh, did the way it just started, it quickly spiraled out of control. Uh, did that help just like, you know, swallowing that loss because it just happened so fast. There's no time to react. A little. I mean, I, I guess. I mean, a, a loss sucks no matter how you spin it. But absolutely. I, I mean, and I, as I said, as I'm going to say in a post tomorrow, um, it's kind of all about perspective. And it, like a ten and two season for Penn State is great, 
they're going to get to a New Year's Six Bowl if they win out. Um, but at the end of the day, there's a lot of fans who the only games they care about winning are, are Michigan and Ohio State. And if you go 10-2 with your two losses in the fashions they've been to Ohio State and Michigan, uh, it, it, it some fans are going to kind of feel empty with this season. Yeah, I, I totally understand that. You know, but where this team has been in yes. the last two years, 10 and yes. 2 would be a great, a great rebound from where they've yeah, been. Again, I mean, perspective. I, it's am, all about perspective. Am I 100% convinced they go 10 and 2? Honestly, no, because I, I, I just don't have that trust yet in this team, even though it's four sure. very winnable games. I don't trust this team to go 4 and 0. I, I just don't yet. I mean, I, I, I think they should, but I don't trust them to. But. Sure. They like if yeah if they go ten and two even though we lost to Michigan and Ohio State I will be very very happy with this season just based off of what the last two years were like. Sure, Marty, any thoughts on that? No, that, that's right, Matt. I mean, normally I would agree with the comment of you know ten and two feeling almost a little hollow with the losses being Michigan, Ohio State. Um, very similar to how the 2017 ten and two felt very hollow because of who you lost to. And now I think it's different too, because that team you went into the season with legitimate national championship aspirations, but you're, you're 11 and 11 in your last two years. If you can go 10 and two and get to New Year's six bowl, anyone who says that is not a roaring success is just, they're, they're kidding themselves. Um, because it may be most importantly, if you go 10 and two, it makes it that much easier for Franklin and company on the recruiting trail to come yeah. out and say, look, 2020, was a fluke because of COVID. 2021, if our quarterback and our best defensive player don't get hurt, we would have been all right. And you can say that all you want, but if you say that and follow that up with a 10-2 and season, it gives both those statements a lot more validity. I 100% agree with both of you. I mean, based off the last two years, a 10-2 and season would absolutely be a major win for this program. And like you said, Marty, it just helps with, uh, recruiting so much. Before we move on, a word from our sponsors. Are you a displaced corporate executive or want to put your career in your own hands? Are you an entrepreneur? Sorry, are you an experienced entrepreneur or want to diversify? Well, Adam Goldman can help. Adam is an Indian Nation member, an Indian Nation fan, and franchise veteran for over a decade. Using his expertise, he helps others find their American dream through a very thorough and free consultation process, 100% free. So, what do you have to lose? Your own new business. Made easy. Find your perfect franchise at franchisecoach.net or call Adam at any time at 844-800-3726. Again, 844-800-3726 for your 100% free consultation. We talked about perspective, guys, um, with how looking at you know the end of this uh, season, perhaps for Penn State, depending on how it goes. But I think it's also time for James Franklin to kind of look at things from a new perspective when it comes to the quarterbacks. The Sean Clifford era is on its way out, no matter how you look at it. He has four games left and four or five if you cut in the bowl game in his Penn State career. Drew Lar is the future of this program. Fair or not, Drew Lar is going to carry a lot of the expectations for this program over the next two years. Two very important years for Penn State, especially next year. Penn State right now, I don't know if you guys agree, is I think very clearly the number three team in the Big Ten. I think Ohio State and Michigan – are number one and two. There's a sizable gap, Penn State, and then there's a sizable gap until to your four or five and six teams right now, and then there's everybody else. I think Penn State is comfortably in that number three spot. Um, 
once USC comes to, to the Big Ten, whoever else joins them, uh, there's a chance for Penn State to slide down even more. So Penn State really needs to take advantage of having a potential star in Drew Alar um, and, you know, take that next step with him started next year, which is why I think James Franklin needs to change the perspective of how he's going to be using these quarterbacks. And I think going forward, Drew needs to play probably at least 50% of all the snaps in all the remaining games, if not more. The truth is, is playing Sean isn't going to change the trajectory of this program going forward. Playing Drew the next four games probably doesn't change the trajectory either. But getting him valuable snaps in game situations, especially if they're going to be in the first half against, you know, starting defenses in the Big Ten, those could be huge going into next year because next year you're not starting off against a, a G5 or an FCS opponent. You're starting off against a quality power five opponent in West Virginia. Those press conference quotes today were just a little bit interesting, weren't they? They, they were. I mean, we they, they absolutely were. I mean, uh, I, I don't have the quotes per – let me see if I can find the quotes verbatim. But basically what Franklin said is he's been talking to members of the coaching staff, whether it's Mike Gierce, it's Manny Diaz, Daniel Bryan, uh, Wisenhunt. Um, he's been talking to a bunch of people on the coaching staff about the quarterback position, what they want to do going forward. So it, it definitely makes you think that we are going to start seeing uh, a passing of the torch from one quarterback to another. I, I think it just how is the playing time going to be split, if at all? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, listen, it was the whole quote was a bunch of fluff. I mean, like, you know, he does the whole one, the whoever makes me go one and oh thing, you know, that he always yeah. does that in every week. But him, acknowledging, I, the, him I got the quote. You got the quote. All right. Read the quote. Yeah. So, the, so the question was now that you have two conference losses, would you consider taking a long, longer look at Drew at quarterback the rest of the way? Uh, he answers, I guess, first of all, it's not a decision that I make on my own. When there are big decisions like that, I want to make sure that I'm not too close to it. So we had pretty good conversations with Mike Gersich, obviously. Talked to Manny Diaz about it. Talked to Ken Wisenhunt about it. Talked to Danny O'Brien. So I talked to the guys that had either been a college or NFL head coach before. Talked to a guy that played the position as well. And I got everybody's thoughts. We'll continue to, to evaluate it like we always do. I understand the question. I truly do. But it all comes off to me when I've got that question multiple times as if this game is not really important, which that the tone he had at the end is like, I, I don't think anybody's really saying the game isn't important. But I, I think a lot of people realize that the drop off from Sean to Drew probably isn't big enough, especially against a team like Indiana, that you're putting yourself at a severe disadvantage of potentially not winning the game. But that's yeah. that was the first part of that quote or Absol answer. Absolutely. Um, what it tells me is that I don't think Sean's. I think I still think Sean will be the guy to start the game against Indiana. I don't think that's going to change. I, I think what will change is I, I don't think he's going to have a very long leash. Um, if, if he does bad to start the first quarter or goes into the second quarter playing bad, they're going to pull him real quick. And what I also think is that. You know, for Franklin to acknowledge that he has talked to his other staff members about this, for him to tell the media that feels pretty significant. You know, it's it, an insight we haven't had before. 
Yeah, no, it, it kind of shows that Franklin is starting to think or is thinking what we're all thinking in that, all right, at what point do we start to transition this to the next guy, especially when that next guy yeah. is the five-star, is the future of your team? You know, at what point this year are we going to start to do that? Because I agree that we need to start getting him more snaps in games, not just garbage time snaps, but actual meaningful reps against the other team's first team defense and see what you have with Drew, see what he can do right now. So, you know, is it like a 60-40 split against Indiana and Maryland, and then you start him against Rutgers, you give Clifford the start against Michigan State because it's senior day, and then you have Drew play the bowl game? That's probably what I would lean towards, give Sean a really short leash and just rock with it in that sort of mindset. But it needs to be sort of like a two-quarterback thing in some degree as they start to get him reps for next season. Because, yeah, you do start right away with West Virginia. And you want to get some of those freshman mistakes out now, those first-year mistakes out now in games that don't necessarily mean a whole lot as opposed to next year when you want to be rocking and rolling. And and to go off his last part of that quote about these these questions coming off as these games don't really matter, I, I think the other big part here is that James Franklin has to be comfortable with that if he plays Sean Cliff, if he plays Drew and something goes wrong and they lose the game because of a Drew mistake, you have to be willing to take that lump now if it means having better success in the future. You may lose a game this season because of something Drew does, but would you rather lose a game this season or would, and then – because of that mistake, he grows potentially and then ends up beating Michigan or Ohio State or both? Or would you rather, you know, uh, that mistake come later next season, sometime next season, uh, because, you know, he hasn't learned from it yet? It, it, if that makes any sense. I mean, you just lost the game because Sean Clifford turned the ball over four times. So, I, I, like, what's, what's – big, Arguably your biggest game of the season. Yeah. So it's to me, it's a no-brainer what you do the rest of the way. It's Drew a large team. I know that's not going to happen. Um, among other reasons, if Drew Alar plays the majority of the snaps, these last four games, you win these four games, he goes out, wins you a bowl game. You go into this offseason coming off a double-digit win season with Drew Alar finishing the season strong. You're going to enter the offseason with more excitement and more buzz around this program than you've had since early 2017. Um, and that, that, that means something too. Um, you know, even sure. looking at the portal this offseason, you're going to want a receiver. You're probably going to want a running back for depth. You might look for an offensive tackle. These are all things, even defensive side of the ball. Penn State becomes more attractive in the portal even with Drew Alar establishing himself as the guy going into the offseason because players are going to look at Drew Alar as a quarterback that could potentially win a national championship. They're going to want to come play with him. Um, and like you said, Dylan, I would rather lose a game the rest of the way because Alar took some lumps in a season that you're already not going to win the Big Ten than take that loss next year in a season where, you know, let's say Alar comes out against maybe like Iowa in September, or early October, whenever that game is next year, makes some mistakes and they lose, and then the end of the year, you look back at that game potentially costing him a trip to Indianapolis when he could get those learning curves and those bumps out of the way now against four of the poorest opponents on your schedule. 
to me, it's a no-brainer what you do. I know Alar's not going to get the first snap on Saturday. I would start him, and even if not, you've got to give him the majority of the reps moving forward. It's what's best for this program in the long term. And quite honestly, it might be what's best for this program in the here and now because Drew Alar definitely – I realize this this comment is kind of silly to make maybe because you're going to be favored potentially by double digits in each of we, we make silly comments all the time. This sure. is true. Um, you're going to be favored potentially by double digits in each of your remaining games. But even here and now, Drew Alar raises your ceiling. Um, he increases your odds sure. of winning that Orange Bowl if that's where it's at. Or if, if sure. they have some things fall away, maybe you're lucky enough to sneak into a Rose Bowl bit. He raises your odds of winning that game. So, yeah, um, I to me, it's a no-brainer. you got to play Alar the rest of the way for a lot of reasons, the most important of which being it is what is best for the long-term health of this program. Sure. Uh, and, and to finish this off, uh, I just want a number. What percentage of snaps does Drew Alar need to play the remainder of the season? 50-50, uh, uh, 60, you know, 60%, 65-55. What number do you think he needs to play the remainder of the season? I'm going to go with what he, what I think he will play, not what I think he should play. Um, well, give, give, give both. What would you like to see him play? Oh, I mean, and, I'd like to see him play at least ninety percent. Yeah, okay. Of the rest of the year. In a in a realistic in a realistic view, give a realistic number you'd like to see seventy five. Um, yeah, I mean, realistically, I think in Indiana, Maryland, he'll play probably anywhere from thirty to forty percent of the snaps. And I Rutgers, I think he should start. Michigan State. Maybe 50-50, you give Sean the first half, go to Drew the second half, something like that. And then um, bowl game, he should play the whole game. Sure. And then, Marty, I, I'll go to you next just quickly. I think I think the biggest key, no matter how many snaps he's get, is he should get snaps in the first half in every game. He should get a drive early in the game against starting caliber defenses. Um but if you and you can go into the game plan saying we're going to give Drew forty percent of the snaps or fifty percent of snaps, but if Drew gets hot, don't take him out. Keep Drew in the game. Let him stay in. Now, if he cools off and or he throws some interceptions, sure, bring in Sean. That's the great thing about having a guy like Sean. If Drew has a bad game or is struggling, you have a guy who you could still count on to go out there and give you a quality performance, most likely. Um, so I think I think he should see at least 45% of snaps, uh, if not more, uh, if he gets hot. Marty, what's, what's the number you think he should play or you'd like to play? I'm similar to you. That's not 100. Yeah, I mean, I, I think realistically, if he gets 30 to 50% of the snaps, rest of the way, you got to be happy. Personally, I wouldn't go full hundred necessarily, but I mean, he'd be my starting quarterback. And if things got out of hand, yeah. I would go to Christian Bayard before I go to Sean Clifford. Because think- again, I'm looking for the long term health of this program. I'm, I'm, yeah, Sean's been your starter for four years, tip of the cap to him, whatever. At this point, I'm playing for the future of my program. And that's not him. And I think the other thing with that is um, if, if we're talking, if we're talking about, um, you know, again, snaps here. Sorry, I lost my concentration. Uh, but uh, sorry, what was I? We're talking about Drew and getting snaps, right? So, one second. 
I had a good thought about it. I had a really good the thought Phillies about it. Is sword again because the Phillies, the Phillies running through for a loop. As, <laughs> as soon as as soon as I began talking, Alec Bohm hit a home run. Alec um, Dylan, you've always been a big fan of his too. Never, I've never said a bad word about him, about Nick Castellanos, about nobody. Um, All right, so uh, while, Dylan, while Dylan catches his train of thought, quick, I will say yes. one comment about Christian Veyer. Um, I understand where you're coming from there, but if we're talking about the future of the program, technically, Veyer is good enough to it. play somewhere else, so he's probably going to be like okay. in the transfer portal after the season. So, I mean, if you're talking about the future, you'd play Bo Perbula after Drew. But I, I get, I get where you're coming from I, there. Your pecking order. I think if you can get, I think if you can get all the quarterback snaps somehow, you do it. But with with Drew, um, he's played in what five games this year. Um, he has thirty one passing attempts, which is solid. That's about a full game worth. When he's in the game, you, I know you don't want to go away from your game plan so too much, but I feel like if he, when he is in the game, Penn State probably would. If we're talking about the development of the future lean more towards passing the ball when he's on the field because handing the ball off a bunch of times isn't necessarily going to get him ready, uh, you know, against when it comes to passing the ball next season. Um, and, and that means if you're in the, if he's in the fourth quarter and you're up two scores or whatever, three scores, don't care about the optics of throwing the ball when you're up late, get the kid reps. It's a business decision at the end of the day. And, and that's the other thing with, with the Clifford thing. Um, and who should get more snaps, who should start. Uh, I, I think at the end of the day, James Franklin needs to look at this as a business decision. And if there's any player on Penn State's roster who would understand getting benched out of a business decision, I think it's Sean Clifford. Because um, let's be honest, the next four games isn't going to determine Sean Clifford's future in the NFL. He is a borderline training camp invite, uh, whether he plays the games of his life for the next four games or not. And we all know that once his career is over, he's going to be great off the field because he's a really smart kid, has a lot going for him. So he's going to be fine no matter what here. If you're Penn State, it is at the end of the day, if you're James Franklin, a business decision at quarterback. Any other thoughts moving on to Indiana? Indiana? All right. Not really much to talk about Indiana, guys. Let's be honest. This is a game that Penn State should win by multiple scores. I think the spread at 14 is a little low. I think Penn State could win this by 20, 21 points. That being said, Indiana is not as bad as you would think. Uh, they're 3-5 on the year. Uh, losers of five straight. They won their first three games. Um, but if you look at how Indiana has played this year, they've really played everybody close for about – a half to three quarters, and then the game slips away from them just because they don't have the talent uh, to match the teams they've really played. Marty, what's your initial thoughts on Indiana? Um, I'll be curious to see if Penn State got to fight the hangover. Um, James Franklin and his career, I don't I don't know the number, the exact number off the top of my head, but through his first eight seasons, he's either two and six or one and seven against the spread um, following Ohio State. Um, not good. And I, I think he's under 500 overall, uh, straight up against the following week after Ohio state. So you got to avoid that crash down to earth. That said, this Indiana team's not good. Um, there, there's no reason yeah. Penn State, even if they start slow, shouldn't come out and win this thing by double digits. I'm with you. I think the spread might even be a little bit low. Um, I honestly, if I had to bet money on the game, I'd pick Penn state to win and cover. Cause I just, I just don't think 
even if Penn State starts slow, a little bit of an emotional hangover from the Ohio State game, I, I just don't see how Indiana is going to score enough to hang within 14 to 17 points of Penn State. And as somebody who never played sports at the collegiate level, um, I, I do wonder, if, especially for a college football team, how how much easier is it, if if it is, and I think it would, to come back from a blood loss against Michigan? Because a blood loss against Michigan, you know, they were clearly not in that game from – I mean, they were until the third quarter. But it's I think it's easier to swallow a blood loss than it is to swallow a heartbreaking loss. And it would be easier to get over that blowout loss. So I do wonder if they are able to get over the, the heartbreaking loss to Ohio State uh, as quickly as they were the Michigan loss. And if we'll see a hangover effect. Anthony, what's your initial thoughts on Indiana in this game? Uh, do you agree that Penn State should cover this 14-point spread on paper and probably win this game rather easily? On paper, they should, but... I do have my doubts on that. Not that they should win, but I have my doubts that they're going to make it look easy just because, you know. That they come out maybe in a malaise, slow start. Yeah, history says, you know, they come out a little flat in these types of games. So it would not surprise me if Indiana hangs around. Indiana gave Michigan a dogfight for three quarters. So it would not surprise me if Indiana, especially at home, hangs around in this one, you know, three you know two and a half three quarters this game is a lot closer than it really should be because Penn State's just waking up from the Ohio State hangover like it'll be interesting to see if Penn State can make a statement here and say all right we're going to come out we're going to kick their asses and then we're going to keep it moving here and that would be great to see for once so you know we'll, we'll see what happens but I would not be surprised if, if this game ended by like the by like a 10 to 14 point victory 100 uh, percent agree with you. Um, and in the middle of that, our YouTube viewers once again saw me celebrating another Phillies home run. Um, uh, yeah, let's wrap this up so I can go watch the Phillies. Um, Indiana overall, uh, their defense is uh, up and down most of the year. Offense is, is uh, heavy in the passing. They do. They did bring in Connor Belazic from uh, Missouri over the offseason. He has not had a season to remember, 12 touchdowns and nine interceptions. Um, and Tom Allen has already um, said that he may not necessarily be the starting quarterback come Saturday. Um, but just some base numbers here. Uh, offensively averaging 265 yards in the air, just 80 on the ground, which you think should play well into Penn State's favor defensively. Uh, and then the defense, like I said, been up and down, but overall not good, uh, allowing uh, 30.6 points per game, uh, including 154 rushing yards, 259 passing yards. Um, again, uh, Indiana tends to start well against their opponents. They played well against Michigan. They gave Cincinnati a good game as well, and then they ultimately you know, just fall apart as the game goes on. The lack of talent. Um, any general thoughts you guys have on this game? I mean, uh, I hate to do, you know, such a quick preview of the game, but there really isn't much to talk about this game outside that Penn State should absolutely win this game by multiple scores if they play like they did for three quarters against Ohio State and what they did against Minnesota. I mean, I like this is that this isn't like an 11 p or 11 a.m. central kick. 
That is big. That is big. If this was an 11 a.m. start, I think they would come out. The chances of them coming out flat are super high. Yeah, Penn State historically does not do well in those 11 a.m. Central kicks. Also, by the way. Those extra couple hours our favor a little bit. But, yeah, I, I think, you know, 14 is about right. Um, we'll see what happens. But, like I said, it would not surprise me if this team comes out flat, at least for, like, the first half or so. By the way, it won't even be an 11 a.m. Uh, kick in Bloomington because Bloomington is in uh, the Eastern time zone. Hmm. Are they really? Google. According to Google, I thought the same earlier this weekend. I thought the same. I also thought that Michigan was, you know, in central time zone, but it is not either. Interesting. Because going down, to, going down to Auburn, where Auburn is, you know, just two hours from Atlanta, but in the central time zone, threw me off my time zone. Time zones are weird, man. And don't even get me started on daylight savings time. All right. We're not going down this road. Marty, what's your, what's your thoughts? <laughs> Um, yeah, no, honestly, what I want to see the most, I think this weekend, and I think I'm going to probably be this way the rest of the year. I want to see Drew Alar. I want to see sure. Nick Singleton and Katron Allen continue to take steps forward. I want to see the young defensive linemen and, and some of those young guys on defense, Abdul Carter can take steps forward. These next four games are every bit as much about development. as there anything else? Um, largely because of who you play. Um, if Caden Saunders is healthy, I want to see him play. I want to see these young guys who can help spearhead the 2023 team and beyond sure. play well down the stretch. Yeah. And that starts this Saturday in Bloomington. Yeah, that was also another part of my article. It's a super long article, so I already apologize for anybody who does uh, take their time out of the day to read it. I thank you. But it it doesn't stop at Drew. It, it keeps going. It, it's the redshirt freshman. It's the true freshman. If you've already burned a redshirt, you might as well play them more. If you haven't burned their redshirt and they've played this year, play them up to four games. Unless Caden Saunders is banged up, Caden Saunders should be out there. And I know Caden Saunders was banged up a couple of weeks ago. He wasn't dressed. I didn't look for him this past week. But if he's healthy, let him go. Let him play. You know, I think that's a great point. And the guys with the red shirts already burned too. Um, you know, a guy like a Cam Miller, a guy like a Zane Duran, a guy yeah. like a KJ Winston. Those red shirts, yeah, you, you burned, them. let's get him some reps on defense. Let's see. Let's throw 15, 20 snaps at Zane Duran's defensive tackle. Let's give Cam Miller and KJ Winston each a series or two each game in the secondary against the starting offense. Let's let them get some reps. Let them build some confidence. Let them build some momentum going into the offseason. Let them let them refine their craft against starting Big Ten caliber players, not second and third string potential walk-ons when the game's out of control in the fourth quarter. Agreed. 100% agreed. Anthony, final thoughts on Penn State, Indiana, anything, anything at all? No, I think I gave my two cents. I'm not going to ramble on much longer. Plus, if, if Philly, if the Philly score at any point throughout the rest of this recording, we're going to lose Dylan completely. So let's let, let's wrap this thing up. I am on cloud nine uh, right now. We'll see if it lasts. Um, but yeah, let's wrap it up here. Thank you everybody for listening to another episode of the Penn State 365 podcast. Be sure to go over to Penn State Rivals or Chinani Nation, the Penn State Rivals site to check us out. Uh, a lot of, you know, recruiting stuff all the time. A lot of articles regarding on the field um, and everything in between. We'll have practice notes for tomorrow. Um, until next time, though, have a good one. Uh, we will be back with an Indiana recap. Uh, and until then, enjoy your uh, rest of your week. Enjoy your weekend.